Waking up in my college dorm Yeah, my life, it was pretty normal Looking for a date to the spring form I wasn't worried about nothing else, no Majoring in undecided Notebook full of bad songs I was writing Never dreamed anybody else would like them Now they're sitting on a Walmart shelf Ain't it funny how life changes As you wake up, ain't nothing the same in life said I do, but everybody else said, man, you're 22, what you trying to prove, hey, why don't you wait, cause I've been waiting on her since the second grade, yeah, and now she got her own set of fans, got a blue check mark by her Instagram, and I wrote a little song about holding her hand, and now everybody wanna die happy, man. Told my daddy and mama, you're gonna have a grandkid yep. from Uganda. That's right, we're adopting, and she is the cutest little girl that you ever seen. While well, I was wrapping my head around being a dad, a bigger wrench got thrown in the plans we thought we had. Now Lauren's showing, got one on the way. Yeah, that's two under two. Hey, what can Ain't I say? Funny how life
Buffalo, I'm going to ask you to stand at your feet. Put those hands together. Today, we're going to spend some time in God's presence. And when we spend time in his presence and in worship, our hearts align with him today. And that's our prayer this morning, is that we would get God's heart today. Lord, I pray you'd reveal your heart to us.
would you transform us as we're in your presence here today? God, our hearts are open. We want you to come and to change us, Lord. God, I pray that today we would understand more fully your love for us, God. That you would be the stability of our lives.
continue to worship you this morning. We love you, God. We just thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your love. And we just worship you. good you are good 
so good. You are so good. Jesus, you are so good. God, we love you so much. And I just thank you for who you are and your goodness. Even when things just feel so unknown and the circumstances, we have no idea what's gonna happen in the waiting. Whatever we've come in here this morning, we can so confidently say that you are good despite what it is. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Church, you can be seated. We all have questions about spiritual matters. Questions about God, Jesus, the Bible. But who can we ask? Most of the time, we don't stop to talk about those things. But we all think about them at some point. Your questions about the Christian faith weren't developed in an instant. And you deserve more than a quick one-sided answer. You have a story that led you here. Maybe an answer isn't even what you need. It's why we created a place where we can talk about it together. Doesn't matter where you stand. Doesn't matter where you're from. We just want to help you take the next step. And it starts with a conversation. Starting point. Starting point begins next week, September 20th. Everything has a starting point, a place where it begins. And all of our faith journeys begin with a lot of doubt, a lot of questions, but you know, oftentimes we don't know where to take those questions. Starting Point is a place for a very safe conversation to happen. Use our yellow Next Steps card to sign up for Starting Point beginning next week and make sure you drop it off with our guest services people before you leave here today. Good morning, everyone. If uh, I haven't had the opportunity to meet you, my name is Lauren, and I'm the executive pastor here at Life Church Buffalo. It's my privilege to welcome each and every one of you here, especially if you're new, if you're here for the first time, or you've just recently started coming to Life Church Buffalo, or perhaps you're tuning in for the first time online. To all of you, can I say welcome and thank you for taking time out of your Sunday morning to worship with us. We're so glad that you're here. If you're in the room with me right now, if you wouldn't mind locating the VIP card in the seat back pocket in front of you, you'll notice it's the black one. You take that out and fill out some basic information. Before you leave here today, if you'll stop by our outside lobby and speak with one of our guest services people, they'd love to receive that card from you. We have a gift that we've put together just for you. And also on behalf of you, turning that card in, we want to make a donation to the local food bank. Now, if you're online, you can't come here and do that, but you can go to our website, lifechurchbuffalo.com, and if you will just click the button that says new here, fill out that information, we have that gift that we want to send to you as well, and we'll also make a donation on your behalf just for doing a simple thing of filling out some information and let us know that you're here for the first time. Thanks so much for doing that, and thank all of you who continue to support the mission of Life Church Buffalo. If you came here in the room today, you have a check or cash that you have prepared for your offering, I want to remind you that we have offering uh, boxes at the back on either side of the auditorium so you can put your contribution in there before you leave today. Or if you'd like to give electronically, especially if you're watching online, our electronic giving is powered by PushPay. It's all safe and secure. You can do it at our uh, website, lifechurchbuffalo.com. You can click the giving button. You can also text lifechurchbuffalo to 77977. That's another way that you can do it. And if you have the PushPay app, it makes it really easy. You can set it up to recur. Everything is simple and safe. Thank you so much. Your contribution 
enables us to reach lives that need to know Jesus. You enable us to love on our neighbors. Thank you so much for helping to promote the mission of Life Church Buffalo. We're seeking people who are far from Christ, giving them the opportunity to come to know him, to follow him step by step. All right, so there are a few things everybody knows. One of them is that you don't talk about politics or religion, ever. But is that true? As a Christian, is that true? But how do we navigate that? When the teachings of Jesus intersect with something that's going on in our culture, we have a mandate, an obligation to address it. But how do we do that? With love, right? Well, we are starting a brand new series. Pastor Pete is kicking it off today. It's gonna help us to navigate those difficult conversations. And this series is called Talking Points. Good morning, church family. Yes, we're going there. (laughs) If this is your first time with us today, my name is Pete. Uh, So good to have you with us today. If you're tuning in online, uh, we love you. My wife and I, Kelly and I, we pray for you every single day. We hope you're doing well. We can't wait to have you back here in person. Uh, But we are kicking off a brand new series today called Talking Points. And before I dive into any of the content, I just want to explain to my church family kind of the process I went through to arrive at the decision to tackle this very difficult and dangerous topic. I know it's very divisive and people are very passionate about it, but it was a couple weeks ago I was in prayer and was beginning to prepare. Uh, I was in, yes, I was in prayer beginning to prepare. I thought I said the same thing twice, but I didn't. For the series that was going to follow uh, the For the One series that we just finished up last weekend. And I started to go down the path of this idea that actually Pastor Beth, our children's and family pastor, came up with a few weeks ago called masks, Uh, kind of playing with this idea of these masks that we're all too familiar with, but using that as an example for the masks that we all wear but don't talk about that, you know, as we pretend to be people that we're not. And, you know, I started kind of going down the path of developing the, the first message in what will be a masks series when I stumbled across another series that actually Pastor Andy Stanley did earlier this year uh, at his church. Now, I just want to say that I don't necessarily agree with everything that Andy Stanley teaches and preaches, but in this particular case, I think he hit it out of the park. I agree wholeheartedly with what he presented in this series, and I decided to kind of switch gears and save masks for October uh, as we get closer to Halloween when people will be putting on costumes and wearing masks for different reasons, and so stay tuned for that one. That'll be coming in October, but um, with 
this decision to kind of switch gears, I texted and called some of the members of our executive leadership team and kind of informed the staff about what was going to be coming. And I said, so what do you guys think? And they're like, are you sure? Like, you want to tackle politics? Like, so my whole staff wasn't all super excited about the decision to move forward with this, but I really felt the Holy Spirit stirring my heart to go forward with it. When I look at the, the climate of our culture right now, and specifically the division I see within the church, I felt like I have a responsibility to address this. I want to pastor you through an election season. That's my heart and the reason why I decided to do this. I really want to pastor you through this season. So we're beginning this series today, three weeks long, called Talking Points. We all know that the Democratic Party has their talking points. The Republican Party has their talking points. So I feel like I would be remiss if as your pastor, I didn't provide you as people of faith with some talking points to help us understand how we should engage in this arena. The perfect blend of politics and religion. We will see just how perfect it is. As you heard Pastor Lauren say a moment ago, they say it's not polite to really talk about religion or politics. Now I have found it very difficult to avoid the topic of religion and church for obvious reasons. We are a church, you know, and we're going to talk about issues of faith and what the Bible has to say about how we should live our lives according to God's ways. But I have found it very easy to stay away from the topic of politics. I, for one, am, you know, I'm the type of person, you've heard me say this before, I hate conflict. I'm a peacekeeper, don't rock the boat, can't we all just get along? And with how divisive politics is, I consider myself to be somebody who's more apolitical. I just, I don't wanna get involved at all. I get super uncomfortable when people around me start talking about politics because inevitably, it usually turns into an argument and I just want us all to get around, you know, and sing Kumbaya and can't we all just have a good time? But unfortunately, that's not life. So as Pastor Lauren said, you know, when, when topics of culture intersect with teachings of Jesus, we have a responsibility to address them. When something that we are wrestling with in culture intersects with things that Jesus has said specifically, I have to talk about them. Better yet, maybe I shouldn't say I have to talk about them. I get to talk about them. And I am looking forward to talking about this with you over the next several weeks because when we look at what's coming up in our, our nation right now, the things that Jesus said I think are extraordinarily relevant to what we are facing in our country today. And especially when you look at the division within his church, which definitely intersects with some things that Jesus had to say. And so that's what we're gonna talk about in this first part of the series today. If you've been around our church for very long, you have been able to determine that we are a very diverse church. Our church is growing, and I love that. And what we're about to experience over the next couple of months, we're kind of set up to be divided. Much like our culture is very divided right now, maybe, maybe more so than ever in history, with the diversity that's even right here within our own church, we're set up to be divided. But I love the fact that we're a diverse church. Some examples of our diversity that have contributed to the decision I made to tackle this topic is a couple weeks ago, we were, uh, my wife and I were having a gathering at our house, a cookout from some family members, uh, from some families in the church here. And uh, it was a great night. We, you know, cooked out and had great conversation. But towards the end of the evening, most of the people had left, but there was just a couple, couple people that kind of hung around. And the conversation drifted to politics. 
Now, I wasn't directly involved in the conversation. Uh, they were talking in my mother-in-law's suite, which is off of our family room, and I was in the kitchen. But just hearing the conversation, my skin was beginning to crawl as I was just getting super uncomfortable as one person in the group was, who leaned pretty far right was having a conversation with someone who leans pretty far left. And surprisingly, I was very impressed with how civil and respectful the conversation was, which is, I think, how it should be. Uh, But man, I was just super uncomfortable, but I saw that conversation with people from our church as a microcosm of our church, having people from the whole political spectrum that attend here. There was another instance that happened a couple weeks ago, and this one really served as confirmation for me that this was the right call to tackle this this difficult topic. My wife received a text message from an extended family member of hers that was a picture that he had taken a screenshot of somebody that he knows on Facebook. His friend had taken a picture of a Life Church Buffalo yard sign that was sitting in this person's yard right next to a whole slew of Democratic candidate signs. So it was Life Church Buffalo followed by all these Democratic candidates and this person's friend Facebook post use a very derogatory term towards Democrats. And, you know, it it saddened us to think that a believer, so-called Christian, is name-calling another believer simply because of the political candidates that they support. And they also, in the post, disparaged us as a church you know, and made it sound like that just because there's someone in our church who, you know, supports those candidates, that that must be reflective of where we stand as a church as well. And so I was like, we, we've got to address this because the divisiveness is at an all-time high. And it's not just, you know, conservatives, you know, name-calling liberals or Democrats. I've seen Christian Democrats, liberals, whatever, you know, going to social media to mock, for lack of a better term, conservatives and using their faith as a reason to do so. And so nothing divides like politics. I I really believe that. It's such a polarizing and divisive issue. And nothing divides like politics, I think, because nothing divides like fear. How many of you know you can raise a whole lot of money peddling fear? And both sides do it, right? The Democrats are trying to take your guns. The Republicans are trying to take your votes. So for $19.99, if you'll send in a contribution for $50 today, we'll make sure your candidate gets into office. They prey upon our fears to raise money, and they do a lot of it. They raise millions and millions of dollars by peddling fear. If President Trump gets reelected, it's the end of the world. If a Democrat socialist gets elected, it's the end of the world. So send in your contribution of $100 today and we'll do everything we can to make sure your candidate gets into office. Nothing divides like politics and nothing divides like fear and you can raise a lot of money peddling fear. But what exactly do we fear? What are we afraid of? And I think it boils down to, in a word, we fear loss. We're, we're afraid of something that's going to be taken away. Maybe we fear losing control, losing opportunities, losing some wealth, losing a part of our culture. This is a big one on both sides, losing some of our freedoms, losing progress. We've made progress in certain areas as a society, and maybe we think we're going to lose some of that progress if the wrong person gets into office. White people fear what might happen, 
Our black and brown brothers and sisters fear what has already happened because for them it's not theory, it's history, and it's not too distant history. My wife and I were just out to dinner a couple weeks ago with a black pastor and his wife from the city, and they were sharing with us the experiences they had growing up as his mom lived through segregation and Jim Crow laws and like one generation removed. So we all fear losing something. And we're in this time in culture when everyone is peddling fear and if we're not careful, we can fall victim to it. If we're not careful, we'll allow fear to divide us. And as I think about the people in my house that night a couple weeks ago having that conversation, as I said, I love that to me it's a picture, kind of a small microcosm of our church where we have people in our church from every possible place on the political spectrum that you can imagine, both sides of the aisle. And I love that. I love that about our church. In fact, I would go so far as to say that if you're looking for a church where everyone believes the same as you and votes the same as you, you're in the wrong church. I don't know how else to say it. In fact, I would go so far as to say, maybe you think this is offensive, but I I hope you don't find a church like that. I never want you to attend a church like that because if everyone in your church looks the same, acts the same, talks the same, believes the same, and votes the same, who are you really reaching? And how are your views being challenged? And we would miss out on an opportunity. We have an opportunity unlike ever before to model for our community to disagree politically but still love unconditionally. That's what I'm hoping this series will help us as a church do, to model for a watching world in our community what it looks like to disagree politically but still love unconditionally. And so I want to ask you a question as we start out. And this is not a question I want you to answer. Don't say amen to this. This is something for you to just ponder. I am not going to ask you to switch political parties. In fact, the purpose of the series is not to endorse any particular platform or candidate. And I know some of you wish I would do more of that, but that is not my calling. My calling is to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and to help you know and follow Jesus step by step. But I'm not going to ask you to switch your political affiliation. I just want you to think a little bit differently as a Christian as we move through the series. And the question I want to ask you is this. Do you want to do this? Do you think you can love unconditionally while disagreeing politically? And more to the point of the series, are you willing to evaluate your politics through the filter of our historical collective Christian faith rather than create a version of our faith that supports your political view, which is what most Christians do. Are we willing to put the filter of our faith in front of rather than behind our political filter? And most Christians honestly can't or choose not to. Are we willing to follow Jesus? Because that's the mission of our church. Our goal is to help people know and follow Jesus step by step. And are we willing to follow Jesus even when following Jesus creates space between you and your party's platform or your party's candidate? I hope, I pray that we can and that we will. Because most Christians, as I said, aren't really able to do that. 
It's so easy to be divided and it's so easy to run to our corners politically and relationally and just assume that God and Jesus are in lockstep with us and are in agreement with everything we say, everything we post. And Jesus saw this coming. Not the election, he saw the division coming. And in John chapter 17, when Jesus was having his final meal with his disciples, it was the Passover meal, and hours before he would be betrayed, tried, day before he'd be crucified, John's gospel records for us something that Jesus prayed while at this final supper. There's a couple interesting things about this prayer. Number one is that we learn that Jesus 2,000 years ago actually prayed for us. But the second thing we learn from this prayer is that Jesus had a prayer request. If you're newer to faith, you don't know what a prayer request is. If you grew up in the church, you know that when like people gather together and, hey, does anybody have a prayer request? Is something that going on in your life that you want prayer for? And Jesus is in the corner like, yeah, I, I do. And we, we see what Jesus is. It's just a weird thought, right? The son of God having a prayer request. But we're gonna see what his prayer request was as we dive in to this passage. Because what did Jesus pray for? Not the things that we pray for. You know, we, we pray for our families, we pray for our marriages, we pray for our kids, we pray for our jobs, we pray for, if you're in school, God help me pass this test tomorrow, whatever it might be. But what does is, what is Jesus pray? Let's take a look in John chapter 17, verse one. He says, Father, the hour has come. Here we are, we're at the end. Three and a half years walking around with these guys, trying to explain to them what you're like, trying to explain to them what the kingdom of God is like. And here we are, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. In other words, light me up in such a way that people will, will know I'm connected to you and help me to light you up in such a way that, that they would know we're connected. Interestingly enough, when Jesus prays that he'd be glorified, the hour in which God was most glorified is the time when we would have been most horrified. We would have looked away, but God never looked better because the whole purpose he sent his son was to redeem sinful and fallen mankind through the death of his son. We talk about wanting glory and favor and Jesus is praying, glorify your son by my death. Just an interesting side note. In verse 11, he continues, he says, I will remain in the world no longer. He had been telling his disciples for weeks that he was going away. Hey guys, it's coming to an end. We're going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be handed over. I'm going to be killed. I will remain in the world no longer, he says, but they, speaking of his disciples, are still in the world and I am coming to you. He says, I'm coming back to you, Father. And what's next is amazing. Most Christians don't know this. This is Jesus' prayer request. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name the name you gave me, so that. And anytime you see those two words in the New Testament, that's called a henna clause in the Greek. It's a purpose statement where he is connecting what he's about to say with what he just said. The purpose for what he just said is about to be explained. What does he want them protected from? To what end? He's already told them many times that many of them would be ridiculed. Some of them would be arrested, even killed. He said, if you want to follow me, you got to be willing to pick up your cross and die. And he meant literally. Some of them would give their lives for the faith. So he's not praying for their physical protection. 
He's praying for something that he thinks is more important than their physical protection. He says, protect them so that they may be one, even as we are one. At the very end of Jesus' life, how many of you know the thing you pray for when you know you're about to die is the most important thing on your heart? At the very end, the thing Jesus was most concerned about, the thing he wanted protected more than anything else, the thing he prayed about was their unity and their oneness. And we'll see why in just a moment. But then he switches gears and prays for us. If we skip down to verse 20, he says, my prayer is not just for these 12 guys sitting here. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Jesus has prayed for every generation of people who would decide to believe in and follow Jesus because of what those 12 guys said and wrote and talked about. And that includes us. How cool is it that 2,000 years ago, Jesus prayed for all of us sitting in this room today? I find that awesome. And what do you think he prayed for us? Again, it's not the things that we pray for ourselves. I have a hunch, and it's kind of sad that I think most of us, maybe few of us, ever really spend much time praying for the things that Jesus prayed for, which is maybe part of the problem. Maybe if more of us prayed more often for the things that Jesus prayed for and asked God for, maybe the world would look a little different. I know the church would look different, but here's what he prays for us. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray for all who believe in me through their message that all of them, in the first century that would have been Jew and Gentile, Romans and Samaritans, men and women, slaves and freedmen, soldiers and tax collectors, educated, poor, wealthy, all of them. In the 21st century, all of them means white, brown, black, yellow, red, rich, poor, married, single, privileged, underprivileged, Republican, Democrat, independent, indecisive, that all of them in this vast array of people with different backgrounds and different experiences, that all of them, I pray, may be one. That all of them may be one. To which we say that, that's impossible. That's our response. That's what we think about when we look at the climate of our culture today. That's just not possible. To which Jesus said, you know, no, this is imperative. For the sake of my mission, this is mission critical. This is not like, oh, wouldn't it be nice if they all just got along? No, that, like the whole thing rode on our ability to love one another and be one. So because it's imperative, we should be intentional about pursuing the things that Jesus prayed for. We should be intentional about trying to make that a reality in our own church. We have to be intentional about it because this doesn't come naturally to us, does it? It doesn't come naturally because, well, we were all, you know, we only know what we know. We were raised by who we were raised by. We've had the experiences that we have, and those things, as we're growing up, help to shape and influence the way we view the world. And everyone has different influences, so everyone views the world differently. And so we've got to be intentional about pursuing it because this does not come natural to us. We tend to run to our little corners politically and relationally, but that's why Jesus prayed for it because he knew it wasn't natural for us. And so it has to be a supernatural thing where the Holy Spirit spurs us on to pursue this with intentionality. 
And he continues in verse 21. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us. Here it is again, so that. Another purpose statement. So that. Do you know what he asked for oneness for? Was it so that we could all just get along? No. We're about to see it has actually nothing to do with us. He prayed that we would be one in him so that the world, this is not people in the church. This is people outside the faith. People with different worldviews. People who roll their eyes when they drive on by. So that the world, when, when those people see the unity in spite of diversity within the church, when they say unity in spite of diversity within the church and between the churches, then they may believe. They'll be convinced that you have sent me. This is what he prays. God, may they be one in us so that the world, people who don't yet know us and know how much you love them, might come to believe and know that you sent me. This is mission critical. The whole thing of the, the world, the people in your life, in your family, at your school, in your neighborhood, your friends that don't know Jesus, their ability to come to know and understand how much God loves them hinges on our ability to walk this out and live in unity and love one another. You guys, we're never gonna see the world the same way. But Jesus prayed that we would be one. He's asking his father to nudge us towards what he had already, he had just commanded them a couple chapters earlier. In that same setting, that same context at the Last Supper, in John chapter 13, Jesus is you know, at the dinner table with his disciples and he's talking to them and he says, guys, this is coming to an end and a new commandment I give to you, he says in John 13, 34. I came to institute a new covenant, a new way of relating with God and a new way of relating with people. The old covenant had 600 some commandments and he goes, I want you, listen, I give you a new commandment. This is how I want you to live. And they're like hanging on the edge of his words. I want you to love one another. And they're like, well, that's not new. To which Jesus said, well, I'm not through. And then he says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And with those, that, that phrase, as I have loved you, Jesus changed the game. He raised the bar on the standards of what it means and what it looks like to love other people. This was a new command, not a new suggestion. And again, it's not about us. It's about his mission and what he wants to do through us. Verse 35, he continues, by this unique sacrificial kind of love for one another, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another as I have loved you. Jesus, knowing how different his disciples were from one another and knowing how different we would be from one another commanded us to love each other the way he has loved us. Let me ask you a question. How's that going? How are you doing with that? When people describe the way you treat others, would, would they describe Jesus' love? And if not, then maybe we've all got some work to do in loving people like Jesus does. But getting back to his prayer in John 17, he says in verse 22, 
I have given them the glory you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Imagine that, complete unity. Not political unity, but unity of purpose. Unity of a worldview that they would see each other the way I see them. That they would see me the way I'm to be seen. That suddenly this worldview that includes a God that loves them so much he sent his one and only son to die for them would encapsulate everything in such a way that it would define and redefine everything for them. Then, he says, here it is again, it's not about us. Then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Jesus was praying to his father saying, that the key to the world coming to know and understand how much God loves them is us walking in unity and loving each other the way Jesus has loved us. That we would be unified, not around a political ideology, not around culture, not around language, not around style of worship or preferences to how often we should do communion, not about lights or smoke or anything else like that. That we would be unified with one purpose. And after the resurrection, the church was launched and they got it. It happened. They went out into the streets of Jerusalem and carried this to the end of the world. The purpose was to make disciples of everyone. That's why we exist as a church, to help people know and follow Jesus step by step. That's the purpose. With one message. They went with one message, and that was that Jesus is the Messiah. He is this eternal king that came to reverse the order of things and to bring the kingdom of God to earth. And unlike any other king, this king laid down his life for his subjects in order to create an on-ramp to the Father. That was the message and they had one commandment as they carried this message out, and that was to love one another as he had shown them. And we're a part of that movement today. Listen, your candidate, whoever you support, will win or lose based upon how American citizens vote on a Tuesday in November. But the church will win or lose based on our behavior every day between now and then. Let me say that again. Your candidate, whichever one you're voting for, is going to win or lose. Somebody's going to win, somebody's going to lose. It's all going to be based on how America votes on November 3rd. But the church of Jesus Christ is going to win or lose based on how well we treat one another and love one another every day between now and then. What is the world going to see as we engage with one another. Because of that, we must not let anything divide us. We must not let anyone divide us. You guys remember, it was Christianity, not a political party, that shaped Western civilization. It was the teachings of Jesus, not our political parties, that laid the groundwork and the foundation for our modern sense of justice and fairness and the dignity of every individual. Throughout our very short history as a nation, though, both of our political parties have screwed up. they failed. Throughout our short history as a nation, political leaders from both sides of the aisle have failed morally and have failed in their leadership. So why, as followers of an eternal king, 
would we allow ourselves to be divided by temporary elected officials? During our short history as a nation, there have been several parties that have turned the lights out and no longer exist anymore. How many of you have heard of the Whigs or the Federalists? They're not even around anymore. So why would we sacrifice unity for a political view that you might actually change someday, you might abandon someday? I don't know about you, but I don't think and believe the same things now as I did 15 years ago. And yet we, you know, we, we back up in our corners and, and we think that God and Jesus are in lockstep with us and agree with everything we say while we're disparaging somebody else made in his image. Why would we allow ourselves to be divided by lesser kings? Better yet, why would we allow ourselves to be divided by fear? Because Jesus' most often repeated commandment was fear not, fear not. Fear not. Some of us are so afraid of something out there in the future happening where we're going to lose our country or our freedoms or whatever. But I want you for a moment just to think about the context into which Jesus spoke this commandment to fear not. On one side, you've got the temple and religious leaders who couldn't wait to have Jesus arrested. And on the other side, you've got the empire who would be the ones that would carry out his execution. And in the middle of that, you got Jesus speaking to these 12 guys saying, ignore all that, fear not, a king has come. Like really, think about it. And when the king's people rally around the king's message, man, some amazing things can happen. And we know that because amazing things have happened throughout the course of our history. So why would we allow a political view that you may outgrow or abandon someday to divide you from a living, breathing you? Why would you allow a political view to divide you from a you, the you next to you, the you next door to you, the you that sits next to you in school, the you that you're related to? Why would we not fight for struggle, and sacrifice for the unity that our king prayed for. Believe what you want politically. Vote for who you want to vote. I hope everyone votes. But don't you dare mistreat somebody made in God's image. It was the unity of the church that got the attention of the pagan world, and the empire that crucified Jesus would be the ones that would eventually embrace him. So what do you say? Can we all... Start striving for this? Are you even willing to try? Because I can't say this about a lot of things for your life. I don't know what God's specific will is for your life vocationally, but I know with certainty that this is God's will for your life, that we would be one, that we would love unconditionally, even though we might disagree politically. So two things I want to suggest to us as we begin this journey together, and if you're taking notes, I would encourage you to write this down or maybe take a picture of the screen when it comes up, but would you, number one, pray for what Jesus prayed for? Would you pray for oneness? You know, Andy Stanley in his series wrote down this prayer that I want us to repeat as well. He said, Heavenly Father, make us one so that we can influence many. This isn't about church growth. This isn't about adding people to the building. This is about the universal church. This is God's heart for his, his bride, and that we would start praying for the things that Jesus prayed for. In fact, why don't we start it this morning? Would you say this with me? Say, Heavenly Father, make us one so we can influence many. 
Say it again. Heavenly Father, make us one so we can influence many. Pray this for our church. Pray this for the churches in this region, that God would make us one so we could influence many. May we be less concerned about how right we are and more concerned about how bright we shine to the world around us. Make us one so we can influence many. So pray for oneness. And number two, and this one's gonna be a little bit more difficult for some of you, look for an opportunity to love unconditionally someone with whom you disagree politically. And if you don't know anyone that you disagree with politically, maybe that's part of the problem. Maybe your circle is too small and you're not challenging yourself on issues and topics and politics. And listen, in this current climate, in this culture, this might be harder, not more hard now than it ever has been before. So we've gotta be that much more intentional about looking for opportunities, being intentional to pursue opportunities where we can show love to someone unconditionally, even though we might disagree with them politically. And when you do, because of how divided everything is right now, our light is gonna shine that much brighter. That's when the world is gonna take notice and say only God can bring those two people together and be unified around a purpose and accomplish a goal together. Only God, that's when the world will take notice. Some of you might say, you know what, this, it's not gonna work, Pete. Like, you're too naive. Isn't that naive? Like, no, I, I don't actually think it is. You know what sounds naive to me? A first century Jewish rabbi from nowhere, standing under a hot Syrian sun, talking to 12 young guys, and making this audacious claim and promise, saying to them that I will build my church even though the temple wants to kill me and Rome wants to squash anything that comes against them, I'm gonna build my church, my assembly, my congregation. I'm gonna start a movement and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And these guys are looking around at each other like, you're gonna start a movement with us? Yeah, that sounds naive. But he did and it didn't. Jesus has been building his church and the gates of hell have not and will not overcome it. And us moving it forward in our generation depends on our willingness to walk this out and love people unconditionally even though we might disagree with them politically. Are we willing to try it? I hope and pray that we are. So pray for oneness and love unconditionally, even though you disagree politically. Pray for oneness, disagree politically, love unconditionally. Pray for oneness, love unconditionally, disagree politically, and most importantly, don't miss week two of Talking Points next week. You know, speaking of being intentional, one of the ways that we try to provide opportunities for you to do this is by encouraging all of you to get into a small group. We call them life groups here at Life Church Buffalo. And it's, you know, one of the amazing ways that God uses other people to shape us more and more into the character and image of Jesus. And it's amazing how much more effective it is when that happens with people who are different than us, that can challenge us. And so on October 13th, one month from today, we're gonna be launching some more small groups. And if you're not currently in a group, then I, I can't implore you strongly enough to prioritize that. We believe here at Life Church Buffalo, one of our core values is belong and become with authenticity. 
And we can't become the people that God has called us to become until we know that we belong to his family. And it's difficult in a large and growing church to know that you belong until you can remove the mask and be authentically yourself with a smaller group of people that will help you survive the lows and savor the highs and grow in your faith. So I wanna encourage you to mark that date on your calendar, October 13th, we'll launch some new groups and you'll have the opportunity to love unconditionally someone with whom you disagree politically. If you'd like more information on that, I wanna encourage you to take the yellow next steps card and turn that in before you leave. But I wanna pray for us and I just wanna ask you guys no matter where you fall on the political spectrum, to just be open, be humble, and let God speak to you. Let's walk this out for the sake of West Seneca and Western New York and the Buffalo area, that the world may know who Jesus is by the way we love and treat one another. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your word. I thank you for your heart for oneness in your church. It was the thing that was strongest on your heart hours before you'd be handed over to be crucified. And Lord, first I wanna ask for your forgiveness. Lord, for any of us here today who have said things or done things or engaged in debate or posted things on social media that haven't reflected you well, haven't reflected your love for everyone well, Lord, would you forgive us and help us to be more conscious of the words that we speak and the way that we act and the way that we treat one another. Help us to see that everyone, Lord, has an image of God imprinted on their soul and is worthy of dignity and respect. Lord, I'm gonna be honest, it's, I've struggled with the things that I even preached on today. So Lord, I just want our church, I, I want my church, I want, it's your church, God. I'm just a temporary under shepherd of, of your bride, your church, who's been given the responsibility to love and care for your people teach them and show them who you are. Lord, would you help all of us to be more concerned with how well we're loving than how right we are? Lord, I just pray that the world would know, those who are driving by even right now on Seneca Street, Lord, when they engage with us during the week, whether it's at school or at work or in our backyard, over the fence, Make us one, Lord. Make us one. So we can influence many. That we would see your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May we be more concerned with living out the mandates of your kingdom than of whatever political party we aspire to. May we identify first and foremost as citizens of heaven, not of a political party or of a country. Make us one so we can influence many. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You guys, I have great hope that we can actually walk this out because getting back to that conversation that took place in my home a couple weeks ago, 
the thing I was most, cons- most impressed with, uh, even though I was uncomfortable because those conversations just naturally make me uncomfortable, is how, how much love was present in the conversation. There was so much respect uh, for each of the people involved in that conversation toward one another. There, I, I love that, and that gave me so much hope for our church moving forward in this election season. And so as you're engaging in the political process, be involved, let your voice be heard, but let's remember who we are and whose we are. And may our actions, our conduct, and our words reflect the name whose image we bear. Amen? So if you're new, don't forget to take that black VIP card out to the guest services before you leave so that we can give you a gift, but more importantly, so that we can bless someone who's struggling right here in our community with the gift of a warm meal. If you have parents, don't forget to rush back and take your kids or check your kids out of kids' life. But with that, you guys, I love you so much. Go Bills. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.